Well, somebody's never seen Planet of the Apes before, and that's what we're going to talk about on episode 195 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. We're kicking things off with the song Gemstar. It's from the band The Aquamarines. It's on their album Off the Radar. You can find them over at theaquamarines.com. Check them out and listen to their entire album. You'll get to hear this song in its entirety at the end of this episode. Big thanks to them for letting us play their music on the podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk about Planet of the Apes. We had a Monster Kid Radio crash where I went to go see this movie at the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. Well, didn't have anybody show up. And, uh, you know, it's all right. I mean, it's not like it's a theater that we normally go to for these Monster Kid Radio crashes. And honestly, the seats were not very comfortable at the OMSI Theater. So it's not like we would have had a great time in theater itself. But I had a great time watching the movie. And we're going to talk about that when I say we. I'm not doing it by myself. I'm joined by Scott Morris. Now, he's been on the show repeatedly. He's one of the high muckety-mucks over at Disney, Indiana. He's one of my dearest friends, and he's a huge fan of Planet of the Apes. I may have just given away who hasn't seen Planet of the Apes before. Speaking of giving things away, just so everybody knows, we do spoil the Planet of the Apes novel, because Scott's read that, and he's going to talk briefly about that. And we even got to spoil the new Star Wars trailer. I know some people are trying to avoid watching it or hear anything about it. It's real brief. It's just for a moment. And really, if you're on Facebook or on the internet, you've seen a still of the shot that Scott and I referenced. So we try not to spoil too much. Why don't we let you be the judge of that for yourselves, though, by diving into the conversation with Scott Morris about the 1968 Franklin J. Schaffner-directed film, Planet of the Apes. We'll get to that right after this. He runs as though the devil himself is in pursuit. And well he might. For he saw what no man has ever seen before. It's on its way. The man on the main gate had it just like the others. It's coming in on the west side. Look! There it is on the roof! Three experts in science and security need a band of men who try to find a way to exterminate X, the unknown terror. Only to find a tunnel of fear from which there is no escape. Dean Jagger as Professor Royston, top secret scientist. Edward Chapman, Elliot, in charge of lab operations. Leo McKern, Inspector McGill, security officer. Decades ago, audiences were exposed to a new kind of cinema unleashed upon the silver screen, led by one of the most talented and interesting actors that the world of the living 
and the dead have ever seen. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. These films of fright had legions of heroes and fans who loved and continued to love them. But for many, one man stood above the rest. For one who has not lived even a single lifetime, you are a wise man, Ben Helsing. Now, after conquering stage, screen, radio, and television, he rises from his cinematic coffin to gain new blood on Vampire Over Hollywood, the podcast devoted to the king of classic movies of the macabre, Bela Lugosi. Hear strange insights, little-known facts, and details about all of Lugosi's films. She's dead only in the sense that you understand that word. I'm on the threshold of bringing her back to complete life. And you will be able to help. If you love Bela Lugosi, then succumb to the will of the vampire over Hollywood. For more information, visit VampireOverHollywood.com. Vampire Over Hollywood, your podcast devoted to the king of horror, Bela Lugosi. Pull the string. Migo presents the Planet of the Apes action figures. Dr. Zaius, the orangutan scientist. Cornelius, the archaeologist. Zira, the woman scientist. The soldier ape. And the astronaut. All Planet of the Apes action figures sold separately by Migo. Discover Planet of the Apes. A civilization where humans run wild in the jungles. And the superior beings are apes. Today for final disposition. Do you realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. And a kind of living death. <laughs> As I sit here on a Sunday morning recording with one of my dearest friends and regular guests here on Monster Kid Radio, I'm talking about Scott Morris, my co-host over at 1951 Down Place and one of the co-hosts of Disney Indiana. 
I'm thinking back to the movie that I saw yesterday for the first time on the big screen, well, ever really, at OMSI, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. They did what they called the Sci-Fi Film Fest. And I don't know if this is a regular thing that they do every year. It's the first time I've noticed it, and I hope they do it again, because I'd like to go back and see other movies uh, at the OMSI screen. It was a four-story tall screen. It was amazing. Big, huge. It's pretty much their IMAX setup. I don't know if it's true IMAX, but it's pretty much to that. Now, during the Sci-Fi Film Fest, they were showing things like Matrix, Galaxy Quest, Serenity, and then some classics like Forbidden Planet and... Planet of the Apes from 1968, which, as far as I'm concerned, still falls underneath the Monster Kid Radio banner or slogan of being a classic or not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. In fact, in my head, typically, 1968 is the cutoff for a lot of the things that we talk about here on the show. Planet of the Apes is a movie that I had never seen before, ever. I mean, I was born in 1973, so it's not like I was a theater-going kid catching these movies on their first run. And by the time I started paying attention to movies, and specifically science fiction, it was Star Wars. So I never had any Planet of the Apes background. But Scott is a big fan of Planet of the Apes. I can't believe you've never had seen this film until yesterday. I know. This is one of those seminal films that, at the very least, if you've never seen it, you know this film. You know the story. You know the twists and turns, it is so in our pop culture zeitgeist that it's hard not to know it. Sure. I mean, I knew the twist. I knew the deal. I knew the lines. I knew that it's a madhouse. And I knew the, you know, get your hands off me, you damn dirty apes. I knew the Statue of Liberty thing at the end, even before it was lampooned in Spaceballs. I knew all this. And maybe that's why I never really got it in my head that I have to see it because I basically already knew what I thought was Planet of the Apes. Now, this movie was not what I thought it was. It was better. <laughs> I think the movie loses a little bit if you know the ending. I know there's probably not one person listening to this that, even if they haven't seen it, they know the ending. Well, that said, some of the original movie posters show the Statue of Liberty on it, right? So it's not like they hid that ending very well. Originally, no. The original first few posters have the cage that they're kept in, the outside cage right. that you see. The Statue of Liberty posters don't show up until later. Oh, okay. I actually have the original press book for Planet of the Apes. And looking through the posters that you can order, none of them show the Statue of Liberty here in the beginning. Oh, The okay. teaser posters and everything. Okay. That was something that was later that they redid the poster with the statue on it. Okay. In fact, I just glanced again through this, the press book. None of them have the Statue of Liberty on it. Oh, really? I thought I heard somebody else, like a, I thought on another podcast somebody had said something like that. So, again, I'm coming to it secondhand knowledge. I have no firsthand experience with Planet of the Apes. I know there was Planet of the Apes sequels, spinoffs, TV, cartoons, toys, and all that. But like I said, my memories of being a science fiction fan and a monster movie fan and all that begin with Star Wars, for better or worse. Which is surprising you say that with movies this 2001, which this movie in 2001 really is my introduction to sci-fi. These two movies, I saw them about the same time in my life. You know, I was born the same year that this film came out. Okay. And I remember seeing this on, you know, a local television station before Star Wars. 
And I was lucky enough not to know anything about it when I first saw it. Oh, wow. So the ending was a shock to me. I mean, it, it had that grab that I'm sure that audiences in 1968 had no idea that that was coming. Even those that have read the book had no idea this was coming because this isn't in the book. This is all new for the screen. Right. Now, you said Planet on TV, but did you see other films in the theater? The first one that I saw in the theater wasn't until the Tim Burton remake. Oh. Oh. The original batch of movies, I did not see them in the theater, which is Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Those first five movies, I eventually saw either a presentation on the weekend or on home video when they finally came out on home video. I have seen the Tim Burton film. I saw it on DVD once. And then I saw, was it before The Planet of the Apes or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? The, the first one in the new run. I believe it's Dawn. Yeah, and I saw I, that I, on streaming at home. Yeah, I have yet to watch those. I want to watch them, but I have not watched them yet. They are completely different beasts, and it makes me love the original Planet of the Apes that much more. And I have to thank all the classic movies that I watch these days. I have to thank the classic horror movies, the classic sci-fi movies, TCM, all the stuff that I put into my brain now when I'm watching cinema. I will go to a classic or an older film typically, and I have to thank these movies because it, I think, primed the pump in my brain to really appreciate Planet of the Apes for what it is. This is true science fiction. This is not space opera. This is not space fantasy. This is true science fiction. And I feel like emphasis on science. Yes. Yes. And I feel like something like, and, and this isn't to say anything bad about star Wars. I mean, I was a star Wars kid through and throws the biggest star Wars fan. I knew growing up. It wasn't until the special edition set that I started drifting away. I was a huge Star Wars fan back in the day. Huge Star Wars themed birthday parties and you know, had all the toys and, and trading card sets and coloring books and you know, when my friends and I got together, what do you want to do? Let's play Star Wars. Okay. That was me. I loved Star Wars. But it's it's not science fiction. I think this is a good time to bring it up. And when we're recording this, the newest trailer for The Force Awakens just came out. There's this line that everybody is just going gaga over, and it's Han Solo saying, Chewie, we're home. Mm -hmm. For me, that wasn't what I thought when I heard that line. It's, I'm home, the end of this film. And I'm like, what is Chewie and Han seeing? <laughs> yeah. I went a completely different direction than anybody else is going. Yeah. And that could be because I was getting ready for this podcast and reading a little bit more about apes and seeing the film again. But that was the first thought that came into my mind. <laughs> it's the Statue of Liberty on a beach somewhere. We were home. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they're seeing. But. Yeah. No, and actually, before the movie started at OMSI, they showed a couple of trailers. They showed something for one of their upcoming IMAX-style documentaries about the planet. Uh, a trailer for Interstellar, and then the first Star Wars teaser trailer. And the way they announced it, they had a guy come up on stage with a microphone, and you know, because it's IMAX style seating, you know, he's like right in front of your face, but you know, the the seats are so slanted. Anyway, he gets on microphone, and he talks about the trailers we're about to see. We're going to see this one. We're going to see a trailer for Interstellar, and then we're going to see some trailer for some movie you guys might be excited about this Christmas. And then he just gets off stage. He didn't even say what it was. <laughs> I knew, and I looked over at Brenda, who went, 
and said, Star Wars. You should see this. You're Star Wars. <laughs> and we can talk about Star Wars at some point. I, I'm still digesting my thoughts about Star Wars or, or concerning my thoughts. We'll save that for a Star Wars show. <laughs> <laughs> Planet of the Apes, man. This was the franchise before Star Wars was the franchise, right? I mean, five films, toys, cartoons. Yeah, there's a television series based on it. There was an animated series based on it. Tons of toys. Now, I never had any of the toys. I was going to ask you about that. I wish I did, uh, seeing as I like to go to vintage toy conventions now, and, and you see the apes' toys and how much they're going for. I wish I had them. but Yeah. But no, I never had any of the toys. In my house growing up, I think I was the only one that was an apes fan. Uh, my parents didn't watch them or anything, so... I'm still kind of blown away by it. I like to talk about movies after I see them when I go with a group of people to see a film. And that's one of the reasons why I really don't like going to the theater by myself, as I like to you know, put together a crash or, or go with a group of friends. Because I like to talk about the movie afterwards, you know? Like kind of relive it a little bit and that sort of thing. This time around, I didn't do that. There was a little bit of it, but there was more of a I'm in awe kind of feeling. <laughs> I, this one it blew my mind, Scott. Well, this one, you also, it gives you a lot to think about. Yeah. I didn't realize I had such a large monkey-sized hole in my heart that needed to be filled. <laughs> I hope that you eventually take the time to see the other films. And I will say that this is the high watermark, obviously, of the Ape franchise. It's like any other franchise. There's great moments in all of them, but this one is just the pinnacle of all of them. Sure. The and that's usually what happens with the first one. Yeah. And knowing that there's a cartoon on the way and toys i'm sure that the high level science fiction aspect of the franchise probably doesn't stand out as much it's there is it uh, yeah it's there through the, the five movies huh. especially the first three wow there there is some aspect of that it's a little more minimized but it is there interesting i have to tell you if my wife and I didn't go out to dinner after the movie, I would have gone straight home to put in the next one on the blue. <laughs> I, I was that taken in. Now, you mentioned earlier it's based on a novel by Pierre Buell. Is that how it's pronounced? I think it's Buell. Buell? Okay. Yeah. And you've read the book. I've read the book, yes. Uh, he also wrote uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai, right. which is another one of my all-time favorite films, but that's for another podcast. Have you read that book? I have not read uh, Kwai. I'd like to. But uh, I have not. But I have read th this book, and there is some differences, uh, some actually very vast differences uh, when you get right down to it. As we all know, uh, Planet of the Apes, the film, as you find out at the end, takes place on Earth. And the book, it doesn't. It, they actually, there's a group of basically pleasure-seeking astronauts. They're not government astronauts they're not you know we're in a more advanced world where you can just hop in your rocket and go for a trip mm -hmm. and there's a scientist that's invented a ship that will go close to the speed of light and so he gets another scientist and then he gets a journalist a french journalist named ulysses to go with him and they're going to go out and explore the star beetlejuice and they find this planet near the star that they're going to explore they land on the planet, and that's where the apes are in charge, and they're a lot more advanced, technically advanced, than they are in the movie. It's basically what Earth was like in 1963 when the book came out. So the apes all have uh, cities, they're driving cars, they're flying in airplanes. So the end of the Tim Burton film, basically. 
basically. Okay. Yeah. And also That's the last Ulysses... time we need to mention that movie, by the way. <laughs> and another big difference is Ulysses can talk. He's he is Taylor in this movie. His, his name's Ulysses. And he's he's a journalist, he's not a scientist, but he can talk the whole time. He, we don't have the the point where he can't talk. Now he's the only human on the planet that can talk. And of course the apes are going crazy about that and he you know meets the different some of the similar apes here and for a while he's put into a zoo and then he's actually taken to some more high society type of things as a, like a very expensive pet. But he's got views and everything. Uh he does meet Nova in the movie and we've got uh, an, another issue there because he actually gets Nova pregnant and that's what spurs the apes into really fearing him because they're now fearing that if Nova gives birth, they're going to have more humans that could speak, which is going to disturb the entire balance of humans and apes on this planet because the humans are basically, you know, killed for sport or used for slaves or used for pets. But then again, when you have a, a Dr. Zayas type who knows that the humans are evil because he does brain experiments on humans and can, through these experiments, trigger past memories, like from earlier generations of humans, and finds out that the humans were once intelligent and they were once the head of this planet and they had war and they killed themselves, you know, killed each other. And then they regressed to what they are now. So this whole, this whole story is going on, but it's actually being, it's got a frame story around it where there's two people that are flying in a spaceship that actually find technically a message in a bottle floating in space. And it's this story that Ulysses wrote. Okay. And so they're, at the beginning, you don't know what that much about them. They're just, they're reading the story and then it goes into this. And at the end, you find out that they're apes flying in space but at the end of the book ulysses escapes this planet with nova and her child they fly back to earth but when they land on earth they land at the airport in paris and they're met by only apes okay (laughs) and that's how the book ends okay (laughs) (laughs) which is Again, I know we weren't going to mention it, but it's sort of how the Tim Burton version ends. Because that planet is a different planet, but Mark Wahlberg's character gets back to Earth and finds out that the apes are there. But that's how the book ends. Okay. So you don't have Nova being pregnant in the movie. You don't have Dr. Z- There's an inference that Dr. Zayas is doing brain surgery, but you never actually see it. And that's how he's getting his information. It's funny that Nova wasn't pregnant in the movie, even though uh, Linda Harrison was true and i read i mean after i saw the movie i've intentionally avoided most information about planet of the apes to peel back the curtain a little bit scott and i've been talking about doing planet of the apes stuff for a while and i know he's a big fan and ever since he and i started talking about planet of the apes i've intentionally avoided any material about it you know i look up classic monster movie stuff all the time and with the exception of a very short documentary, like a 12-minute promo thing that I've seen on TCM over and over again, I've avoided anything about Planet. As soon as we saw the movie, my wife and I, like I said, we went out to dinner afterwards, and she was on her phone and I was on my phone. She was on the Wikipedia page for Planet of the Apes, and I was on the trivia section on the IMDb for Planet of the Apes and read uh, all about all this stuff about the movie after having seen it finally and did read that at one point they talked about having Nova pregnant in the film but ended up nixing that 
the way that Nova is portrayed in the film, more childlike. Yeah. And it might have been kind of creepy to actually have them have it, having a kid. I've, I've got to ask this at this point because you, have, you haven't said, from my own personal knowledge, what did Brent think of the film? She liked it. Now, turns out she'd seen it before. Okay. And beforehand, I wasn't really clear on whether or not she had seen it. She was surprised that I had never seen it before. She liked it. I don't think she was gobsmacked as I was. Well, I know she has a, an affinity for post-apocalyptic films. Yeah, post-apocalyptic dystopian type stuff. And this certainly has a little bit of that plus some. Mm-hmm. She is not feeling very well today. Otherwise, I'd beg her to get on the microphone <laughs> chat a little bit about it. Nobody else was at the crash either. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a theater that we typically do the Monster Kid Radio crashes at. And I know a handful of people were saying they were going to go, but then something came up uh, last minute or travel or other things happened. And just it was just me and Brenda and a very empty theater. It was not very full. But then again, we went to the 345 show as opposed to an evening show, that sort of thing. Well, I am jealous because I have never got to see this on a big screen. Scott, if you could have been out here. <laughs> oh, man. I can just imagine what those opening shots of them going across the yes. desert would have looked like on a big screen. My first experience with an IMAX movie theater was taking a field trip with my school. I, I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we'd all get on a bus, drive the school bus down to Denver, Colorado to go to the museum there and watch an IMAX movie and just go through the museum. And back then, IMAX was just being used for the educational films, you know, the documentary stuff. And I had flashbacks to that, watching the opening credits or the opening sequence to this film, especially where the ship is crash landing. Because it's just filled with shots of flying through the sky and crashing into the water. And it really felt like, you know, one of those IMAX documentaries that you're supposed to feel like you're actually there, you know, which is how they told you you're supposed to feel in IMAX. It was awesome. It was amazing. Now, the sound... I feel like it could have been turned up a little bit because the movie started just after the Star Wars teaser trailer, mm -hmm. which was loud and bombastic and designed for digital projection. And then, boom, straight to Planet of the Apes, which wasn't originally designed for digital projection that big and loud. So the, the volume levels were a little low, but after a few minutes, I didn't even notice. Well, I can imagine some of those shots where you see the three astronauts very small in the screen. Yes. Oh my with God. The, with the, with the mountains and the, Scott, the it was desert. Amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And I mean, the vastness, they shot in Arizona, the vastness of these shots where they're just utterly alone on this desert alien landscape. And then a few of the shots where you can kind of see them framed through like a, an opening in the rocks in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, and then off, 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 way off in the distance in the upper left-hand corner, you might see somebody kind of watching them. Yep. Oh, God, it was amazing, Scott. You, you want me to blow your mind right now? In the film, they're in New York. If the Statue of Liberty is at that coast, that's all New York now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and according to the trivia page on the IMDb, when he asks for a map, if you look at it just right, it kind of looks like the New Jersey shoreline. Yep. <laughs> which... <laughs> You know, it's just amazing. Scott, this is one of my favorite movie-going experiences this year. I, I, I am jealous. I would have loved to have seen it 
that way. I think it's going to be one of my favorite movie-going experiences this year, and that's assuming I'm going to see Star Wars at the end of the year. This was mind-blowing to me. I, I'm, I'm laying it on pretty thick. <laughs> and I, I know if I say something like, it changed my life, it might sound like I'm you know, kind of making fun or making light, but it really is a good film. It has some issues. Oh, yeah. Charlton Heston does do some Charlton Hestonisms and talking through its teeth all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and the weird outbursts. I mean, the, it's a madhouse seems to come out of nowhere because who's he's talking? He's not having a conversation with anybody. He just starts yelling it. And, uh, okay. He's yelling at one of the gorillas who's hosing him down. Right. After they stole Nova from him. And like the outbursts of laughter every once in a while when the three astronauts or the three explorers are walking around the desert. It just – some of the things seem to be a little out of – yeah. I like that laughter when he, when he, you see the one planting the American flag. Yeah. That's when he breaks into the laughter. He's like – you're thinking to yourself, none of that really matters anymore. And, and that's what he was thinking. It's like, why are you doing – why are you spending the time to do that? Gotcha. And, of course, it's a movie from the late 60s, so he's smoking in the cockpit. That cracked me up. I'm sure that's a pure oxygen-type thing in the in the spaceship. <laughs> he's lighting up a stogie. <laughs> and then when they get down to the planet, too, he does it. Yep. And it, and it keeps it in the breast pocket of his um, flight suit. <laughs> Which had to be watertight, I would assume, for it to yes. be able to be usable. Yeah. Now, did you did you catch the symmetry? The symmetry. At the end, you've got a destroyed liberty. The beginning, you've got a destroyed liberty. That's the name of the ship. Oh, is it? Yeah. Nice. There are a lot of really cool things in this film, man. I, I, we're not going to talk about the plot. People, I mean, it's. I hadn't seen the movie and I knew the basics. And I knew that Rod Sterling had something to do with the screenplay. How much, I don't really know. I, I read something somewhere saying he did many drafts. Yes, he, he wrote several drafts of the film, but his wasn't the final draft. Right. Michael Wilson ended up with the, the final draft on that. And then, obviously, the director had some influence. And apparently, Charlton Heston himself had some influence regarding what the final shot was going to look like. But it does feel like a Rod Sterling project because there are so many messages in this movie. I could almost see this as a extended Twilight Zone episode. Yes. And I can also see this as a Star Trek episode. Yeah. I mean, as of right now, there's that Star Trek Planet of the Apes comic miniseries happening, or just happened. Right. Which I've not read, and again, I've avoided anything Planet because I wanted to be fresh. But I'm kind of curious now, just for fun, to see how they do that. There's a lot going on here. This is cerebral science fiction with some good action moments in it. It's not so cerebral that you get bored. There's a couple of good action. The whole hunting scene. Yeah. Uh, the first time that um, the three astronauts, they meet the human inhabitants and they're all in that cornfield. But then you see the apes coming in. I love the, how you, you're introduced to them because you don't see them right away. You see something is closing in on this group of humans. And the way that they treat the, that the humans are running like birds would be flying. I don't know if you notice that, but they're going very instinctual running in certain patterns. Yes. And, and they shoot o overhead shots of this. But then you've got these characters that are beat, literally beating the bushes to get them to go a certain direction. And it could have been anything holding those sticks. I mean, you yeah, don't you really no see idea. a reveal. See this, yeah. yeah. And the first time you see them, they're, they're riding horseback, yeah. which is an, one of those iconic scenes. 
But one of the things that I love about this, you know, after the whole thing is over, you see a couple of apes basically doing hunting poses yes. with what they captured and they're getting their picture taken like they've been out on a hunt hunting wild animals. Yeah, and he's even laughing as he's taking the photo. Yeah. And then you see a bunch of humans that are hanging by their feet like a prized catch that they're going to eat later, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, no, it does feel like a, a, a safari kind of setup. Yep. You know, it's it's the hunt, you know, and it's man, it's so good. Now, what did you <laughs> what did you think of the mix of astronauts? The fact that you know, this is 1968 and you've got an African-American as one of the four members of this crew and a woman. I didn't find it very jarring but then I watched it in 2015. Yeah, you're watching it through 2015 eyes. Can yeah. you imagine what that would have been like in 68? Yeah, I know. And that he was an equal, that they were all equals. Well, that's as much as we could tell. The only problem I have with it is, and it's purely a science problem, they were supposed to be going out finding another planet to colonize. And if that's the case, you're not sending three dudes and a, and a girl. Yeah, you more likely you'd want to have <laughs> three <laughs> girls and, and one dude. dude. <laughs> well, and if you got Charlton Heston, that's all the dude you need for a couple planets, right? <laughs> exactly. But um, for, well, from what I understand, though, the original script, that wasn't written as a woman. It was just four guys. Yeah. And that was kind of a last-minute thing. Not that it matters too much because no. she never makes it off the ship. But, Yeah. <laughs> when they threw that line in, it's like, really? That she was going to be Eve? I don't see that working. No. <laughs> Good thing Nova came along. <laughs> <laughs> they bring up a lot of different social issues. And this is where the, the Star Trek feeling of the film comes in to me, especially mm-hmm. Roddenberry Star Trek. Yes. Again, that, that was real. And this isn't to say that there's anything wrong with star wars or the later star treks or or science fiction today or even the planet of the apes movies today but this is a different kind of science fiction that i don't think we get enough of or or much of these days and the way that they've hidden it in this type of fantasy where it's not beating you over the head with it it's all allegory and you can get enough out of the story without even seeing that and still enjoy it but once you start to really think about it, then you start getting. Okay, you've got issues of separation of church and state. You've got issues of race and class systems. And yeah. It's all in here. And, and it's not hard to see. But if you're just watching it just for. Like a visceral kind of. Yeah. Right. It's enjoyable on that level, too. Yeah. I mean, it's a good story. It's a really good story just by itself. That There's a class system within the ape society. When you hear Cornelius and Zira talking about how no chimp was a no chimpanzees ever been on this council or this has gotten a promotion like that, or I mean yeah, that's yeah. kind of thrown in there, and yeah, you've got the gorillas who are basically the muscle. Mm-hmm. They're the hunters. They're also you see one as a janitor and doing the more low level type jobs. You've got the chimpanzees who are the science level. They're the more intelligent ones. They're doing the, that level type. And then you've got the orangutans who are the people in charge. They're the government basically, which then if you look at that and mirror that to 1968, you've got, and I'm sorry if I'm offending somebody, but you've got the gorillas who are the darker ones doing the more menial stuff. And you've got the, you've got the um, orangutans who are the top level are the lightest ones. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there 
to discover if you go looking for it. And that's one of the things that I think Rod Sterling was really good at. I mean, first and foremost, he was a writer. He was a storyteller. But he always injected something into his stories that you could really dig into and think about long after you're done watching what he wrote. And there's so much of that in here. You know, the class system that you're talking about, the separation of church and state. I mean, that's relevant today. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even more so today than I'd say like in the 80s or so. I mean, I think it's it's really telling to see this movie now. And I don't think they picked up on that very much in the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. There's hardly any of that at all. No, there's not from what I've read. And there's a little bit of it in the Tim Burton version, but not to this level. No, not at all. I mean, it's it's so deep without being boring. It's a, it's a masterwork. Planet of the Apes is a masterwork all the way around. I mean, there's even the stuff about teenagers not you know, <laughs> believing anybody over 30. I mean, there's all of that in there at the very end. With uh, Zira's, was it nephew? Nephew. Yeah, yeah, when he comes and he shows up and he becomes a character. And he's not just a throwaway character. He's he's there to be part of the story and to even put another message out there that may or may not be something that you know people were grabbing. I don't know, man. This movie is just packed full of messages and amazing makeup. Can we talk about the makeup? And that's what I'm calling a cliffhanger, an enticement to bring you back to the next episode of Monster Kid Radio when Scott and I continue our conversation about Planet of the Apes. We're going to talk about the makeup. We're going to talk about the music. and We're going to talk about a few other things when it comes to this film, its franchise, its importance, and what it did to me in the theater. Man, I loved this movie so much, and I know I'm overstating it, but the more I think about it, the further away I am from the film, I'm in love with it. I freaking love Planet of the Apes. And, you know, I don't know if it's in this part of the conversation or it's going to be in the conversation you hear in a couple of days. But I told Scott that I wanted to run home and put the Blu-ray in and look at the special features. I ultimately decided not to do that because I didn't want to accidentally be spoiled for the other films by looking at these special features and documentaries. I can't trust that they're not going to reference something that's coming up. I want to come to these movies fresh and, yeah. I think we'll be talking about it on the show in the future with Scott down the line. I think we'll be doing the Planet of the Apes movies the way that we did the Abbott and Costello films with Joe Stuber and the way that we're going to be doing the Mummy films with Nicholas Hatcher. More on that here in a second. First, I want to tell you about MonsterKidRadio.net. That's our website where you can find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. We've got our contact information here. Our email address is MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. And we have a voicemail line at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you want to call in or write in and berate me for having not seen Planet of the Apes yet, feel free. If you want to talk about anything we've talked about here on the show or anything that we might be talking about, anything Monster Kid related, feel free to send that in or call it in. We'll talk about it on a future episode. Also on our website, we have links to every song that's appeared on the show, including the song that's going to close out this episode. Stay tuned for that. We also have a link to our live 365 internet radio station where you can listen to music and sounds from classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema this is the kind of music that i listen to all day long and i would love to share this music with you so i invite you to check out the live 365 internet radio station either go to live 365.com and just look up monster kid radio or follow the link at the website 
You can also follow the link at the website to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show on a monthly basis and get yourself some nice rewards and help us hit certain milestones here on the podcast. Big thanks to everybody who's supported us this way thus far. Also on our website, links to our Facebook group and a place for you to sign up for the Monster Rally Checkpoint monthly e-newsletter. Just put in your email address, hit subscribe, and you're in you are going to get a monthly email from me telling you about everything that's coming up with Monster Kid Radio and Monster Rally Media. That is something that will be going out at the end of the month, so there's still time for you to get signed up for the April release. Certain Patreon supporters at a certain level have already gotten their editions, and I haven't heard any complaints. So if you want to get in on that, well, you know where to do it. You can also do it through our Facebook page, facebook.com slash monsterkidradio, and you can do it right there. Nothing can destroy it. It's coming for you from space to wipe all living things from the face of the earth. Beware of the creeping unknown. This woman is about to learn a terrible secret. She will never be the same again. Because this man knows that same secret, he will never speak again. Both of them has come terror in the form of the creeping unknown. Three men went into outer space. Only one of them came back. Came back a strange, distorted creature, haunted and possessed by something beyond human understanding. What was the terrible secret he could not tell them? There's a whole new world out there, a wilderness, uncharted. And he's been there and come back. He's got the map. Unlock his mind for me, Briscoe, and find it. I know you can do it. It isn't just a question I know the strain and tension you've been under, but to stop now when we're so close... Brian Donlevy, he dared an experiment that shocked a nation. You've destroyed him like you've destroyed everything else you've touched, Kent. There's no room for personal feelings in science, Judith. An experiment that created... The Creeping Unknown. I want to call around the entire area, evacuate all public, get information to check up every movement that's likely to take place inside this radius tonight. Yes, sir. Warn everyone not to touch anything unusual they may find in the streets. Coming up here in the Portland, Oregon area is CthulhuCon. It is the first CthulhuCon happening. It's put together by the same people who put together the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon. They've just broken it out a little bit. CthulhuCon's happening April 25th and 26th at the Crown Plaza Hotel here in Portland. Find them over at CthulhuCon.com or follow the link in the show notes. I'm excited. I'm a Lovecraft fan. Y'all know that. I've been a Lovecraft fan for years, and I'm excited to be a panelist and a moderator at CthulhuCon. I'm going to be on the panel, The Lost Worlds of Lovecraft, where we take a deeper look into the adventure epics of the 1910s, 20s, and 30s, and their relationship to stories like The Call of Cthulhu, At the Mountains of Madness, The Shadow of Time, and so on. When I signed up for this panel, it was called Lovecraft vs. King Kong, so you know that caught my interest. I'm also moderating a panel called 
Lovecraft Gets Hammered. This is going to be a panel taking a look at some of the Hammer films and their relation to Lovecraft, specifically the Quatermass films and a few other films with Lovecraftian elements and flavors and taste and sound. It's just going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to that as well. And as of right now, if I can get the okay from the other panelists, I'm going to record that panel and play it here on Monster Kid Radio and 1951 Down Place. Should be a good time. If you are in the area and plan on hitting up the Cthulhu Con, look me up. I'm hard to miss. I'm the big guy wearing the Monster Kid Radio shirt. That does bring us to the end of Monster Kid Radio. Come back here in a couple of days for the rest of the conversation with Scott Morris and I, where we talk more about Planet of the Apes. That's going to be so much fun. Again, I'm glad I finally watched it. Loved the movie. Loved it. And then next week here on April 28th and April 30th, Nicholas Hatcher from the Vampire Over Hollywood podcast is returning to Monster Kid Radio, and we're going to talk about a different kind of undead. We're not going to talk Bela Lugosi. We're going to talk about The Mummy. He and I are going to dive into the Mummy franchise, the Karis films from Universal. And again, we're going to do that Joe Stuber style. Is that a thing? Joe Super style? We're going to do that Joe Super style where we're going to go through every one of the mummy films here on the show with Nicholas. I'm excited for that. And that's next week. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song. Gemstar. That belongs to the band The Aquamarines. It appears on their album Off the Radar, and you can find them over at theaquamarines.com. Look them up, tell them that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Enjoy, and I'll talk to everybody here in a couple of days. (laughs) 